So I have been looking forward to preaching on this passage for two weeks now because we didn't get to be together last week. Uh, too much snow, and I was disappointed, but I've been ready to, to gather again with you all. And uh, sort of like the passage from two weeks ago, which was the account of Jesus' baptism in the Jordan, this passage just sort of brings together so many enormous themes from the Scripture. Uh, it is rightly called a microcosm. It is a small story that contains so much within it. You can find the whole trajectory of the Scripture there. You can find all of worship there. You can find all of your life there. And so what I want to do this morning is to show you these different levels uh, at which we can read and understand and enter into this passage. And so what I'm going to do is uh, take the broadest themes, which we've talked about before. Hopefully that's just a review of the Scripture, the story of God's salvation, the story of the world. And then we're going to take a look at this smaller passage from John and see how all those themes can be found in the story of Jesus turning water to wine. And then I want to show you how all of that is actually contained, embodied, and acted out. You're participating in this story today. Uh, in worship. And then, at the end, I want to give you a story of how all these themes kind of came rushing into my life in the last week. In the hopes that as you understand the big picture better, as you helps you understand the stories of Scripture better, which will help you understand our gathered participatory worship better together, which will also help you understand your life better and how God is showing up and acting within it. Week to week, day to day, moment to moment. That's where we're going. So what are the themes? What are the big themes? Um, Bible starts with creation. Moves to the fall. And Jesus appears. as the Savior, as the Redeemer, as the one who sets things right. The one who also forms a church, a community, a body, His body, by the Spirit. And then we see in the end a picture of the kingdom, uh, which has been inaugurated in Christ, expands in the church, but also comes to a final consummation at the end. So creation, fall, Jesus, church, kingdom. I'm going to make you say it with me so we can start getting those things to sink in. So creation, fall, Jesus, church, kingdom. One more time. Creation, fall, Jesus, church, and kingdom. How do those themes emerge? How do they appear? How do we see them in this passage today from John chapter 2? How does I read him again? On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee. On what day? What might that mean? Resurrection. So at the nine o'clock service, people were on it. They said the same thing. Yes, absolutely. And amen. And I'm glad it's immediately where your mind goes. On the third day, what happened? Jesus rose from the grave, um, inaugurating the first fruits of that kingdom in himself. So, yes, we're right to go there. That's the new creation. But I want us to go to the beginning of the story of Scripture. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee. What is the third day of creation? Like what day of the week? 
Almost. So what first day of the week? So as we practice it, we say Monday, Tuesday, right? But what's the first day of the week? Sunday. That's why when Jesus rose on Sunday, it was the first day of the week, the dawn of the new creation, right? So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Tuesday is the third day of the week. On the third day of the week, there's a wedding at Cana of Galilee. When I was in Israel this year, our tour guide, Fote, which means light, who was a light to all of us, shed some light on why Jewish people tend to get married on Tuesdays. Never knew this. He said, why does that happen? No clue. Tuesdays, the third day of the week, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. This has been a practice for a long time. Why? If you go back to creation, what happens on the third day of creation? So you know the rhythm, right? God speaks, something comes into being. God sees it and saw that it was good. There was evening and morning the first day. God creates, speaks, creates something, sees that it is good. There's evening and morning. There's this rhythm to it. And then the third day of creation takes place and God separates the dry ground from the waters. And He saw that it was good. You're like, oh man, he had a full day. Like, that's okay. <clears throat> Let's get ready for the evening and the morning. No, evening and morning does not come. Then he, see, he, he speaks, and, and vegetation begins to sprout forth from the land. And he saw that it was good again. And then evening and morning come the third day. The third day, Tuesday, is the only day in the creation account that gets two goods. It's like twice good, doubly good on this day. And so people will get married on Tuesday because it is a day of like double blessing. You know, we usually get married on weekends, right? But Tuesday, for Jewish people, is a day that they will tend to do this because of that account at the creation. Here's the story. Jesus shows up at a wedding on the third day of the week. Creation's there. It's twice blessed. In fact, more th- we could go further with this, but more things from creation happen. Even as God separated the land from the sea, so does God in the time of creation take the human being and separate his side, take from him a rib, separate the man and the woman. And they come back together. Now for the purpose of participating with God in His creative act. In His stewardship of the world. And part of that was what? Going to the land from which sprouts forth vegetation and tending it. Stories about water to wine? Now whose job is that? God creates the water and the vegetation, but it's humanity's job to step in and to cultivate the vines and the grapes and to take water and turn it into wine. So there's an aspect of humanity's called purpose embedded here. Do you see that? So you've got this twice blessed day. On the third day there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee. You've got a man and a woman just like at creation. The the purpose for which they were made of water and wine coming together, or water and grapes coming together, making wine But then the wine ran out. It's a picture of the fall, isn't it? Really? Because humanity has failed to provide the wine. To take on their role 
in God's creation as the cultivator, as the steward, as the one who turns the water and the grapes into wine. It's a human process, right? Not only has the wine run out as a sign of the fall, but also um, this has taken place in a culture, in a time when hospitality was one of the highest of virtues. When um, a wedding took place not on an afternoon and an evening so that the married couple could go off onto a honeymoon. No, this thing took place for days on end. It was a grand celebration that brought together families and communities and reminded them again of their created purpose. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. A day twice blessed. A day full of God's purpose. And then the wine ran out. Perhaps you can identify times in your life where the wine ran out. The fall was apparent. You know, you halfway studied for the test. And then you showed up and you answered what questions you could, but then there were a few you didn't quite have the ability to answer. And as it turned out, when the grade appeared, the wine had run out. You know, you might have interviewed for the job and you were the final two candidates and then you got the call and they decided to go another direction and the wine ran out. That your, your own insufficiency was apparent for a moment. Perhaps you were tempted toward pride or self-centeredness or tempted to be your own authority or tempted toward anger and despair and hopelessness and you resisted. You entered into that battle as best you could. But then the wine ran out and you fell into sin, whatever sin that was. And you discovered in that moment, maybe even mercifully, your own insufficiency. And you were reminded again that your life, as it is currently constituted and lived out, is not perfectly in sync with God's purposes for you. Creation was a twice good day. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the wine ran out. It's the third part. Thank goodness Jesus showed up. Yeah. Thank goodness Jesus was there. Now, some people might be a little hesitant, you know, say, you know, clearly everything can be misused, misappropriated, mishandled. Wine is certainly one of those, right? Um, the crea- we can fall in our use and right use of the creation. Yes. So why is it that it's the first sign, which is the word John uses for miracle in his gospel, the first sign that Jesus performs is to turn water to wine? Jesus, was that the most healthy choice you could have made, we wonder? But this is why knowing that big story is important. Because if you know the big story of Scripture, of what God's going to do, maybe, just maybe, not only would you have thought of Isaiah 62 and Psalm 36, but many other places that point us towards this reality. The reality that Isaiah uh, calls to our attention when we hear um, that God will one day join Himself to us as His bride. In the ancient world, people understood their relationship with the gods 
to be of many different purposes. But one of them was because they said, well, the God needs slaves. The gods need slaves. And what we do is we offer sacrifice to them so that they can flourish and enjoy all that we bring to them so that they might thrive. And basically, human existence was for the sake of living that enslaved purpose out. Um, maybe Pharaoh, right? Who understood to be himself to be an incarnation of the sun god, Ra, would have had the same expectation of the Hebrew people. Yeah? That was their job. He was, he was like a god. Of course their job is to provide for me and what I want. Or, um, last week I was reading the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is this Mesopotamian um, account of the flood. And in it, um, the gods caused the flood to come down and destroy humanity. But one of the gods kind of whispers at a fence and someone on the other side of it happens to hear that this flood is coming. So this, this one guy comes and preserves a man who builds a ship, who continues, right? The story should sound a little familiar. And he makes it through the flood. And they come to the other side of the flood. And what this man does is he offers up sacrifice to the gods for preserving him. Meanwhile, throughout the flood, the gods have been angry with one another because of those who caused this flood to come upon the earth. Because now the gods are famished. They've been unable to receive and to feast on all the sacrifices of human beings. And so what happens when this lone person offers a sacrifice is that these hungry gods begin to swarm around the sacrifice like flies is sort of the image. Because in this account, the purpose of humanity is to satisfy the hunger of the gods. To provide for them. The gods need them and just want to consume. That is not the picture we're given in Isaiah 62. God does not need you in that way. And God does not desire to enslave you to Himself in that way. God gives you freedom and desires your love reciprocated, not as a slave and as a master, but as a bridegroom and a bride. Do not miss, like we hear this all the time, and so it's not that big a deal to us. Hear that God desires to unite Himself to you in love, in self-giving love. Maybe this has something to do with why Jesus shows up and performs His first sign at a wedding where we're reminded by Psalm 36 that we will feast at the abundance of His table and that the Lord will cause us to drink from the river of His delights. A river does not run out. It is un It continues. Right? So you see all these themes coming together, converging in this one place where Jesus, the bridegroom, shows up at a wedding, hearkening to all those aspects of creation, but also to the fall because the wine ran out, but then Jesus saves the day and turns water into wine, fulfilling from within our humanity that which we were created to do but did not. He comes as the second Adam and lives into that creative purpose and performs it on our behalf. So turning water to wine that runs 
like a river of God's delight so that we might feast at the table. There was a wedding. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee. It was good, but then the wine ran out. Thank the Lord that He showed up. That He came in such a way as one of us, known by us, that He would get invited to a wedding. Like a local one. And that He would perform miracles there. Jesus showed up, but He wasn't alone. See, creation, fall, Jesus, church. Jesus shows up. But before Jesus is mentioned, Mary's named. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also there with His disciples. Here's the picture of the church. Mary and the disciples have gathered in this place. Uh, They have joined Him there. Mary is present. You know, the second Eve. Right? The humble and gentle one. The one the Scriptures describe as being full of grace. The one with whom the Lord is present. The one who gives birth to God incarnate. Mary, who herself is a microcosm of the church. Of you and me. Um, Called as we are to recognize those places and those persons in the world in whom the wine has run out or run dry, and to bring them to Jesus, offering them up for His care. Um, You notice Mary does that, right? Mary comes to Jesus and says, she's the one who draws His attention. The wine has run out. Here's the problem. Here's, Here's the example. The wine has run out. And Jesus says, woman, hearkening towards that first garden and the first woman. Woman, what has this to do with me? My time has not yet come. But Mary in faith looks to the diaconoi, the the deacons, the, the servants is what they're called. That's what deacons do. They serve. And says, do whatever He tells you. This is the secret of our participation in God's work, in God's miracle working activity in the world. To do whatever Jesus tells us. To come in faith and to serve as God commands. And so, the Scriptures emphasize how readily they do just that. He says, fill these pitchers with water. They filled them to the brim. They were on it. He says, dip some and take it to the Master of Feast. They dipped it and took it right to Him. They were eager to enter into that life of responsive obedience to the Lord. And that's how they came to participate in Christ's salvific work in that place. And the transformation He wrought at that wedding. It's also the way that we get in on that in our lives. Jesus shows up at this wedding where the wine had run out and turns water to wine, fulfilling from within our humanity that which we could not do. But He doesn't just do it alone. He draws us into that work. And we're invited to lift the world to Him now and to serve as He directs us. And in so doing, what happens? The water turns to wine. The feast continues. The master of the feast tastes it and says, this is crazy. This is unbelievable. Everyone serves the good wine first and uses the bad wine at the end, but you have saved the best to last. It's a nod to that moment when Christ returns and draws us all to His feast 
you know, heaven's described as this wedding banquet feast between Christ the bridegroom and the church the bride where we will come to His table and feast on His abundance and where we shall drink from the river of His delights without ceasing. It's a, snap, it's a picture of that. There are gallons upon gallons upon gallons, hundreds of gallons, of the best wine you could imagine. It's so over the top. It's just like, Wow. We're given the picture of that kingdom to which Christ is leading us, the one in which we can participate now. When you understand the big picture story, you can understand the Scriptures you read better. But here's the thing, when you understand the Scriptures you read better, you also understand how you come to participate presently in that ongoing work of Jesus right now, today, in this world, in this room as we gather for worship. What I want to show you is how worship, how every piece of this has been present in our worship today. I'll do this really quickly. <laughs> so what happens in worship? Now, I kind of hesitated about cluing the choir in on this, but you know, there's a reason that we process in. It's not just formal. It's not just, oh, we're, we're doing high church sort of. It's not that. There's a reason for it. There's also a reason I don't walk in first. I walk in at the end. That's intentional. When you step into the sanctuary, the holy place, when you step into and gather for worship, it is a return to paradise. It is a return to the garden. We can get into all the symbolism of that, but I want you to see this. We enter in. And when the choir walks in, they're actually um, embodying and showing us and participating in those days of creation. So it's a progression of God speaking, of things coming to be, of God seeing that it was good. And you know who the choir is in this picture? All the animals. <laughs> Just look. I mean, it's not that much of a stretch. I mean, come on. Here's the animals who walk in two by two, just like they're going to Noah's Ark. And that's why the inside looks like an ark, right? In a hull of a ship. They're walking in, these animals over here, rough and rowdy as they are. But on the last day of creation, who, who appears? The human being. And symbolically, that's who I am to be. We walk into that creation. The creation is here from the first moment. As, as everybody's having their conversations and the prelude's being played, and we're sort of orienting ourselves as the choir walks in and then the human walks in. The fullness of creation has come to bear. But how quickly, how quickly do we realize that on the third day there was a wedding at Cain of Galilee, but then the wine ran out? How quickly do we turn to prayers of confession because we recognize the sin in us and in the world around us and we have to confess. We have to say, I'm insufficient and I need a Savior. Thank goodness that the Lord shows up, that Jesus shows up in word and in sacrament to be with us, to be among us, and by the power of His Spirit gathers a body Announcing good news, but then forming us into something together which participates in Him. We, like the body of Christ. Eyes and ears and hands and feet. You constitute that right now by your presence here. And then, as we come to the table, we come forward. And Jesus doesn't turn water to wine anymore. He turns wine into His blood and bread into His body so that we can feast at the abundance of His table and drink the river of His delight, being transformed and getting a foretaste, a glimpse of the fullness of that kingdom, which shall be ours 
when he returns again. And then we're called to go out and to share that with others. To retake this life of participation in God's work in the world now, today. So, all right, did okay. What we're going to do now, I want to show you, like, I just want to share with you how that popped up in my life this week. Because when you understand the big picture, you can understand the Scriptures better. When you understand the Scriptures and the big pictures better, you can understand how we participate in that. Not like in our heads, but with our bodies. By showing up here and going through the order of worship, we can understand what we do uh, and participate in God's work now better. But we can also understand how when we go out from here, that life continues in us. And all these themes can emerge. So I'm going to start with my family. A husband and wife and kids. It's sort of a picture of creation, and it's good. And I'm thankful that it is good. It's like, it's doubly good. But there was a time this week where the wine ran out. I mean, not literally, but like, you know what I'm saying. Metaphorically, the wine ran out. The fall was so apparent. Our insufficiency was so clear. We all, we all got sick. It was not COVID. Thankfully, you can hear the nasal tone. Um... Four COVID tests at least said it wasn't. And yet we were all just kind of falling apart. Nobody felt good. Everybody was sick. We finally worked our way through. We're kind of getting better. And then the day came when Leslie was going back to work to tutor at Williams Academy, Cross North School, the next day. First day I worked in like two years. She was going back the next day. And during the night, Spencer decides it'd be the perfect time to get an ear infection. So... Along with that, she decided it would also be great not to sleep, you know, at least not an hour, just, you know, off and on, 15 minutes here and there, the entire night, and to cry instead of sleep. And so neither of us slept the whole night. Everything was falling apart. The wine ran out. It was rough. We get up the next morning. Leslie is called. There's still snow on the ground. Roads are bad. She's called. We have a doctor's appointment. Thanks goodness. But it's in Boone, 30 minutes away, and maybe 25 minutes until I have to be there. And I'm asleep. I'll just wake up. So there's this frantic run. I get, we get all the kids together, pile them in the car, um, because I have to take them since Leslie's going to work, right? And so we make our way, <clears throat> grumpy as I can be, on the way to Boone. Leslie puts the, the vehicle in reverse and immediately gets stuck. Manages to get out, gets stuck again. <coughs> Calls me after she gets free, crying, I'm going to be late for my first day of work. <laughs> Hasn't had any sleep. Right. Goes from bad to worse, bad to worse. We are so insufficient. So insufficient. Thank goodness. <laughs> Jesus showed up. <laughs> I can tell you, Christ Jesus showed up in beautiful ways. Um, first of all, we got the doctor's appointment. Second, they prescribed us medicine. Third, the medicine worked and, and Spencer started feeling better already during the day. Um, Lily and Anna, which is highly unusual for them, got along and were so sweet the entire day. The doctor said, if I had a prize, I would give it to the best behaved kids here. It was just, you know, it was Jesus, clearly. Um, <clears throat> when Leslie was stuck in the driveway, our neighbor came over with a shovel and literally dug her out until she could get free. She made it to school, not late, but as the kids were saying the Pledge of Allegiance. We sort of get through that part of the day, and we get a call from Junior Sluter saying, 
You're going to be home for a few minutes. Yep. We're going to bring you a chicken and broccoli casserole, not knowing how badly we needed that. (laughs) And we feasted in abundance. Jesus showed up, but also gathered others in, our neighbors, uh, folks from church, and cared for us, provided for us, turned water into wine, and we got a glimpse of the kingdom. In fact, as we went to bed that night, we said, I said to Leslie, <clears throat> this has been so wonderful. Jesus has showed up. Our church has showed up. Um, wouldn't it be amazing if Spencer slept through the night? <clears throat> Quote, I don't know if I believe in miracles like that. This is Leslie speaking. <clears throat> she's not here so I can throw under the bus you know what Spencer slept through the night praise God I mean she had done that many times in her whole life and she did it that night Jesus showed up we got a taste of the kingdom when you understand the big picture story you can understand the scriptures better and the scriptures begin to inform our understanding of how we participate in that life now but also as we go out from here I want that for you I want you to be able to name those places in your life so that when we come together, you can name them so that they can be part of the feast that we bring and celebrate together. Christ with us, for us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.